1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is a good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So let's take just a few minutes and talk about these eight verses tonight and what it means to pray for the lost. In verse 1, Paul is exhorting Timothy. He's giving him a strong exhortation. He's encouraging him strongly. And he says, first of all. So we know that in our church, in our life as Christians, we need to have a priority on prayer and a priority on praying specifically for the lost, those that need salvation. And we know this as we look back a little bit in chapter 1. Paul is writing here to Timothy and he's giving him some encouragement there in his ministry. Timothy is serving there and pastoring and he's working among these people. And there were a lot of problems among the people that he was working with. There was disagreement. There was fighting. There was discouragement. There was frustration. There were people who were not acting like Christians should act. And in fact, Paul mentions two of them at the end of chapter 1 in verse 20 when he says, Hymenaeus and Alexander, he says, whom I have delivered unto Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. So Timothy is dealing with some difficult people in his church. And sometimes in a church ministry, in our Christian life, it's easy for us to get focused on all kinds of different things whether it's problems from people, whether it's frustrations from things that are not going the way that we want them to go, or whatever it is. But Paul here is saying, first of all, I want you to make supplication. I want you to pray. I want you to make intercession for all men. He encourages us. He challenges us. As he says here, he exhorts us to be praying for others. I think it's interesting to notice as well, he says, and giving of thanks as christians we need to be full of thanksgiving we have much to be thankful for don't we to be thankful for what god has given us in our salvation to be thankful for the life that he's given us to live on this earth the word that he's given us god's word the bible to guide us how to live and he's given us so many things and when we get focused on the problems around us we can very quickly and easily forget to be thankful but paul says first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving giving of thanks be made for all men. But notice, even though he's making a priority on prayer, he has a specific group of people that he really says we need to be praying for. He says pray for all men, so that's everybody, right? That's all people. We need to be praying for everybody. And he's going to get specific about what that prayer is. But he 
brings the focus in a little bit tighter and he says, for kings and for all that are in authority. So as we pray for all people, as we pray for the people around us and the people that we meet, the people that we know, he says, we need to be praying for kings and for people that are in authority. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't feel like I can have much opportunity to persuade or to influence people that are in authority. It's just me. I don't know those people. I don't have connections, close connections to those people. I might have seen some of those people across a room or seen them on TV or read something that they've written, heard them give a speech. Maybe even from time to time we get the opportunity to shake the hand of somebody in authority. But do we really have an opportunity to influence them? This is how we influence those that are in authority. We allow God, through His Holy Spirit, to work in their hearts. The Bible tells us that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. God worked in Pharaoh's heart clear back in the time of the Israelites when they were enslaved in Egypt. And He caused that Pharaoh to make decisions one way or another. The Bible says God hardened His heart. So God had the ability to harden Pharaoh's heart. He had the ability to allow Pharaoh and soften his heart as well. God has control even over the kings and over the rulers of this world. So as we're praying for others, He wants us to give specific attention to praying for those in authority. And he gives us then some additional information as to what we're supposed to be praying and why we're supposed to be praying for them. First of all, he gives us the why. The end of verse 2, he says, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. Now, for me, I want to be left alone, right, by the authorities. I want to be able to do what I want to do. I want to be at peace, right? I want life to be peaceful. But sometimes we equate peaceful with easy. And that's not what he's saying. He's saying we're not supposed to just have a peaceful life so that we have an easy life. He's saying so that we can have a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. In other words, as I'm praying for the leaders and authorities around me and the leaders and authorities in our country and in this world, I am praying so that they will let me lead a peaceful life. But the peaceful life is not so I can just relax and take it easy. It's so that I can live out the life that God has called me to live. Think about this. in the What was going on in the world history at this point in time? As Paul's writing to Timothy, Nero is the emperor. Okay, He's running all of Rome. Nero... He blamed the Christians for burning down Rome, even though many historians think Nero set the fire himself. He was absolutely crazy. And as he blamed the Christians for the fires that were in Rome, and he blamed the Christians for a lot of problems in the empire, because the Roman Empire at this time was beginning to crumble. It was beginning to fall apart. The barbarians were attacking, and the Roman armies were not able to hold them off like they once could. Nero was looking for someone to blame. The reality was it was probably... Him that was, he was probably the one that was to blame. Because Nero had, he, he was a debauched man who lived a very uh, loose life and was not a good ruler or leader at all. 
But he had absolute power in Rome. He was the emperor. He was Caesar, right? And so, as there were problems, he looked for somebody to blame, and he chose to blame the Christians because they weren't all that popular anyway. And they were an easy scapegoat for him to blame for the problems. So think about this. Nero's in charge, and Paul's saying, pray for Nero. This is not a guy that you want to pray for. This is a guy that you want to plot to take out of power somehow. And yet God says, no, give prayer, supplications, intercessions. That means praying as a go-between to say, God, would you work in this person's heart because they need you, right? He says even to give thanks. We don't want to give thanks for leaders that we don't like. And yet he says, give thanks. And the goal of this is so that we can lead this peaceful or quiet and peaceful, peaceable life and live it in godliness and honesty. You see, when there's bad rulers, oppressive things upon Christians, it becomes a good time to die for Christ, but maybe it's not such a good time to live for Christ, right? It becomes very difficult to live for Christ. And in fact, this is what you saw among these early Christians. There were many of them being put to death for the cause of Christ. Many of them were losing their life. And it was very difficult for a Christian to live out their life in the way God wanted them to live because if they did, they were going to lose their life. Now, of course, God's a big God and He's in control and He's taking care of all things. But that made it really hard on those people. And God's saying, pray for your leaders. Pray for those who have the rule over you so that you can live a peaceful life, so that you can live it in godliness and honesty. It's hard to accomplish the Great Commission, perhaps like you want to be able to, to share the gospel with others when you're banned from sharing the gospel with others, right? When you're told you can't go there, you can't talk to this person, it makes it challenging. And so we're to pray for leaders that they will allow us to live peaceful lives so that we can live out the life that God has called us to live and to make the choices and the decisions that we want to make that will be pleasing to God. But he continues on in the what of our prayer. He says the, the why that we can lead a quiet and peaceful life. He says this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. And then he gives us what. The, what are we praying? And what is God's desire? Why does this make a difference? Verse 4, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. It is God's desire for all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. So we are to pray for all men and to be praying for the salvation of the lost. How easy is it for us to forget the importance of praying when it comes to the lost? We can print flyers, we can go invite people, we can put effort, we can make snacks, we can power wash buildings, we can do all those things, and those are all good things. And yet if we forget to pray for the lost, we haven't done the first thing that God told us to do. First of all, he says, pray for these people. I want to challenge us as a church, I want to challenge myself as an individual, and you as well, that we be faithful in praying for the lost, for their salvation. Because it is God's desire he says, who will God, it is God's will that all men will be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. Paul wasn't teaching universalism here and saying that all men are going to be saved. 
He's not saying that God's plans are being thwarted by man. No. But it is God's desire. He sent Jesus to die for the whole world, and yet He knew that some would reject Him. But still in His desire as a Creator, as the one who sent His Son to be the Savior, I believe the teaching of Scripture is clear that it's His desire that all would be saved. And yet, He knows that some will not. Paul emphasizes this and gives some reason or some foundation to why God would have this desire for all men to be saved and why God has the ability to save those that need to be saved and and want to be saved. He gets into that in verse 5. So in the first three or four verses here, we see the importance of our prayer and the priority of praying for the lost. But in verses 5 and 6, we really get into the position of Christ, why we can go to God in prayer. Verse 5, for there is one God, right? Paul says there's one God. And one mediator between God and man, God and men, the man, Christ, Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. You see, we can pray for the lost because it's God's desire that the lost be saved and because we are praying to the one who can save them. We're praying to the one God, the true God, to the one who came and died for our sins, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. God is the, or Jesus Christ is the mediator between God and men. Back in verse 1, he's told us to intercede on the behalf of those that are unsaved, on the behalf of our leaders, to pray to the one who intercedes for us, to God the Father. What a wonderful privilege that is. Talk about influencing authority, being able to talk and speak directly to the creator of all things. The one God, the one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. I don't know about you, but I remember, I, I've enjoyed being around people that have the ability to do big things, you know, that have lots of power or influence. I remember when I had my first job out of college working there at Lanier, and when the regional vice president came down to visit from Chicago. Big Jack. He didn't go by Big Jack, but he was his name was Jack, and he was big. But when Jack rolled into town, well, he walked, but he could have rolled. He was a big guy. When Jack came into town, everybody wanted to hear what Jack had to say. And Jack loved to go on long smoke breaks with people and stand outside and tell the stories of, of his great sales success over the years and tell the stories of how he had done things and and let you know about the next things coming up and i remember our boss one time he came in and he said jack is running a special promotion for everybody that completes and he had this whole list of stuff and he says jack has told me nobody's really getting in on it so we're gonna go after it and see if we can win that prize and so our whole office banded together And we worked hard and we completed what Jack wanted to have done. We got it done and we won the prize. And our whole office got to go to Worlds of Fun for the day 
All expenses paid. We got lunch and everything. We went instead of going and making phone calls and trying to sell stuff, wearing our suits and ties, we got to go ride roller coasters instead. And that was a lot of fun. And we felt special because we were talking. We had the news directly from the man in charge. And so that made us feel like we had the, we were in the know and we were on the inside, you know, the inner circle. And so we could get the good stuff for ourselves. Now, that was maybe a very selfish desire. I don't know. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. We had a good time at Worlds of Fun that day. But as a Christian, how wonderful is it that we have the ability to speak directly to God Himself through the person of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins and made it possible for us to speak directly to Him? And how really crazy is it for us to forego that opportunity and to get busy with other things or try to work harder ourselves or somehow make it happen when God has said we can speak directly to Him. So we've seen the priority of prayer and the position of Christ. But I want you to notice finally the power of prayer. Verses 7 and 8, Paul says, Whereunto I am ordained, a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. Paul here is listing some of his credentials and his reasoning for why we can pray and why we have power through prayer. Paul says, I'm the one telling you that you can pray and that you need to pray and that you must pray and who you need to pray to. He says, because I am an apostle. I was ordained as an apostle of Christ, a follower of God. He says, I'm a preacher. He says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. He is basing everything he says on who Christ is. And he says, I'm not telling a lie. I'm telling the truth here. Listen up. Don't miss this. He says, I'm a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. Paul says, I'm the one who is the apostle to the Gentiles, the teacher to the Gentiles. We're actually in 1 Timothy chapter 2. I just wrote that incorrectly. And Paul says, that's who I am. There's power in prayer. You say, well, how do you know that? Look at verse 8. He says, I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath, and doubting. This is where I take the idea of power in prayer. When you have power in prayer, when you have confidence in prayer, there's no doubt. Right? There's confidence. There's power. There's authority. Not because of who I am, but because of who I'm praying to. Because I'm praying to God Himself, who has the power to change lives. It's His desire God's desire that all men be saved, that all come into the knowledge of the truth. It's our duty as Christians to pray for those who are in authority over us. Yes, for their salvation, right? Because that's the desire. But also, he says, pray for all men, right? And then he says, pray for leaders that we can live peaceable lives so that we can fulfill what God has told us to do, which is getting out the Great Commission, right? Which goes back to the all men. Right? And it's God's desire that all be saved. So as we're praying for the lost, we're exhorted to do this. 
We can do it because of who Christ is and what He's done for us. And because it's God's desire that all men be saved. God doesn't hear all prayers, right? He says He hears the prayers of the saints, right? He doesn't hear the prayers unless it's a prayer of faith, right? Those who are unsaved calling upon Him for salvation. He tells us to pray according to His will. He says, if you ask something according to my will, then it will be done. Well, this is God's will, right? That all men... Be saved. It is God's desire to see people's lives change through the power of the gospel. If it wasn't His desire for men to be saved, He wouldn't have sent Jesus Christ to save us in the first place. And so we have the ability to pray because of who Christ is and what He's done for us. And we have great power in our prayer. Our prayers have great power because they're going directly to God Himself. We're praying to Jesus Christ, who's our mediator, our intercessor between us and God. So we don't have to pray with doubt that, well, I'm not sure if God's going to save anybody. God's going to save people as they submit their hearts to Him and confess their sins and turn from Him. But notice, as we finish up here, just a couple other qualifications He gives on our prayer. He says... First of all, we've already talked about not praying with doubt, right? Praying with confidence. But he says also, as we pray, he says to lift up holy hands. Now, some people take this literally and lift up their hands to pray, which is fine. That was done throughout the Old Testament. And you can read many examples of that, of the prophets, of, of the judges, of the kings uh, of Israel lifting up their hands to God or raising their hands before God when they prayed. This was... Uh, signifying their humility before Him and their openness to receive whatever God was going to do. It's also a sign of showing that their hands are clean, right? That they have fulfilled the things of the law that were told for them to do, that they you know, hadn't touched a dead body and all these things, that my hands are clean before God. Just like as a small child, and they come inside and mom checks their hands to make sure they're clean before they come in the house or before they come to the table. This is the idea of coming to God in prayer before Him. So I don't see this as a necessary command that thou shalt lift up thine hands if, if thou wilt pray. That's not what he's saying. But the idea is that before God, we would be holy. In other words, that our prayers to God would come out of a pure heart. Because if we're praying selfishly, or if we're praying out of a heart that's full of our own things and our own sin and our own stuff, and we're not coming to God holy and pure before Him and asking Him to work in people's hearts when our own heart needs to be changed, then we need to deal with that first. And then I think we can come boldly before the throne of grace asking for God to help and asking for God to work and for people to be saved. So the qualification of having a pure heart before God when we pray. And he says, without wrath, so this is without anger, or because, right, he's talking about those leaders, those authorities that they don't like, right? God, just fix them, remove them all, right? No, he says, pray for them. Pray that God will work in their hearts. Pray for their salvation. And many times we want the authority just to change and be a different authority. And yet what we need really is for their hearts to change and for them to become more like Christ and be saved if they don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. So here in 1 Timothy chapter 2, we are exhorted to pray for the lost. So that's what we're going to take some time to do tonight.